Hey, good morning, everybody. My name is Brandon, and I'm on staff here at Renaissance Church. Before we get started, in light of recent news and events that have been happening in our country, I would like to offer a prayer of invocation and lament based on Psalm 77. I cry to God, aloud to God, and I know he'll hear me. And in the day of trouble, know the Lord is who I beep. In the night, my hand is stretched out with our wearying. My soul, man, it can't take it. It refuses comforting. Because it's you who holds my eyelids open. Thinking back to days of olden, seems like they got more emboldened. Words can't speak. I have no hope and I'm confused. Like whose story's broken? Are you God the Father in heaven or not? This ain't Maury Povich. Like, do I know a God who never changes? Can't find compassion and I'm stationed in this mess and now I'm racing like. Nah, man. Hey, uh, I will remember all the Lord's deeds because he feeds and the seed supersedes all my needs. And who is like you, our God? I will recollect your mighty deeds because your wonders of old. Now I am wondering how great are you that you could make your way through the sea. You scared the waters and the waters were trembling for Israel and me. Your footprints were unseen. You led the people, led the people like a flock of sheep. By the hand of Moses, Aaron, through David the king, came your son to save us through tremendous suffering. But why are we still suffering a lament for Dante Wright and his family, for all those who have been victims of mass shootings and their families from Brownsville to Knoxville. We mourn with you. We fight with you. Father God, we love you so much. And it is in the precious, mighty, justice-bringing and bearing name of Jesus Christ we come to you, Lord God, not having all the right words, but clinging to your word and your character. Lord God, would you teach us what it truly means to be in the power of our just Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. You know, in the 1950s, Eugene Carter was the judge presiding over the circuit court in Montgomery, Alabama. And now this, this was a problem for a couple reasons. For instance, this was a guy who sponsored a new rule in his church that would prevent black people from being able to step foot on the church premises unless they were performing janitorial duties. You fast forward, March 1955, that same judge finds the Montgomery bus boycotts guilty as charged. And now they are guilty of violating state law. And so the local officials have no choice but to issue warrants for every single person who was believed to have been involved with the bus boycotts themselves. Crazy. Even crazier than that, all the black people in the area rushed down to the precinct when they heard that news. And they were gladly, joyfully, willingly finding their name on the warrants list, happy that they were willing to suffer for the just cause. 
And some even walked away disappointed that they didn't find their name on the list. (laughs) And it seems like the bus boycott participants had a firm and real and genuine belief in who they were and what they were doing. And that showed itself in a couple of ways that I think we need to consider here as we go through Philippians 3 today, starting in verse 4. First, they showed a willingness to suffer for what they believed in. And second, they had a real tangible hope that something greater was coming. And you know, I gotta be honest, as I think about what I say that I believe, like like when I say that I believe in Jesus as Lord, I look at my life and I wonder, how do I know that my belief is genuine and real? And I wonder like, Am I willing to suffer for what I believe about Jesus? Moreover, I wonder, do I have a real lasting hope because of who I believe Jesus to be? And Paul here is writing in Philippians 3, again, verse 4, if you want to flip there ahead of me. Philippians 3, Paul is writing here to the church in Philippi, and he's writing from jail. So he's writing as someone who's currently suffering because of his faith. And, and because of that, you know, this, this letter has heavy, like, farewell letter vibes. Like, he could be penning what could be his very last words to this church, to these people that he's very fond of. And, and, and so he, he writes about a, a few core important things he wants to make sure they get. And here in particular, in this passage, he talks about what it means to be in Christ. And so he writes to reassure them of of the very essence of what it means to be in Christ. And we pick up in chapter 3, verse 4, where Paul is talking about his life in Christ, past and present. And he says this. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness, under the law, blameless. And here it goes, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Here, Paul is talking about his life and all of the things he has accomplished, some some great feats. But then he says, I count it all as loss. But what does that really mean, right? Like Paul couldn't have physically lost any of the things he's talking about, right? Like he mentioned circumcision. Last I checked, you can't lose that. Um, he, he mentions the family he's born into. I mean, as many as, as many of us may, I'm saying have, have a little bit of turmoil there, uh, can't change that, of the tribe of Benjamin. He talks about past violence. Can't take that away. So he's not talking about things that he physically lost, 
And then also you, you consider Paul's pedigree here is, is real. Like he accomplished some real things that put him in a place of extreme influence. Like Paul was that dude, a Pharisee. Um, he, he had zeal. He was somebody who, again, had great influence in his day. And so he's not talking as someone who is like now he's jailed and so now he's just trying to make light of his life before. Like, I don't matter anyway. He's really talking about things that he genuinely accomplished that others wish they could, honestly. But he says he counts it as loss. What does that mean? Paul is saying he counts everything as loss, meaning he surrendered the position that these former things that he had accomplished held in his heart. He's surrendering the things that he used to build his life on in order that he might instead build his life on Jesus the Christ. And so I ask, what might you say currently now or even in the past that you have built your life on that isn't Jesus? Maybe a career, a financial portfolio, Influence, status on the block, power, your education. All of these things can be good, but put in in a place that they don't belong can leave us bankrupt. And Paul here is saying that and, and even admitting that when he put these things that he had accomplished in a place they didn't belong, it led him to a place where he became responsible for the death of Christians. For the very murder. And Paul says he counts all former things as loss, again, verse 8 into 9, so that he may gain Christ and be found in him. Because knowing Jesus surpasses all other good things, because Jesus is the only one worthy of the highest place in our hearts. May the same be true of you and I. Now, don't hear me for what I'm not saying. What I'm not saying is that if you are trying to move, you're working mad hard right now trying to move your family out the projects over near Madison and go get a condo on Sugar Hill. I'm not telling you that that's worthless. I'm not telling you to stop doing that, actually. But what I am saying is that Jesus, if you are in Christ, it means that Jesus holds such a place in your heart that it makes your adoration for all other things seem like rubbish. And that's, in fact, Paul is saying that even the great things we accomplish are like rubbish compared to the things that have been accomplished for us in Jesus. He's saying even the best things you can do compare as nothing, appear as nothing in light of what has been accomplished for you in Jesus Christ. And so the greatest achievement then is to gain Christ and be found in him. But then what does that mean? Like, what does it mean to gain Christ and be found in him? Then, Great, that, 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 that's a great uh, thing to, to aspire to, to, to chase after. But what does it mean? And Paul gives us three things that we should consider about being in Christ. One, in Christ, we are justified. Two, we are sanctified. And three, we are glorified. But first he says we are justified, right? Picking up where we left off in verse nine. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. 
meaning we gain a right standing with God by believing and believing alone, by faith alone. And here's an important rhetorical question. Say you're walking up to the pearly gates, you know what I'm saying, so to speak. <laughs> and there are two angels. You're walking up to the gates of heaven, and, and, and there are two angels standing there for the sake of conversation. And they see you walking up like, <laughs> why, should we, <laughs> why should we let you in? What would you answer to that question? See, because Paul here, he, he talks about his current life and his former life in this section. And he says that the difference between his current and his past is faith. You know, see, before Paul was operating in a religion of faith, but he was standing on his own work. He was standing on his own merit, standing on his own accomplishments. And we know, again, I say Paul was operating in a religion of faith because even before he came to Christ, it still was all about faith. You go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. The first book is called Genesis. And in chapter 15, you see God talking about uh, uh, his promises to Abraham. And it says, uh, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Again, it's always been about faith. But sometimes we can try to stand on our accomplishments. But Paul is turning here to say, now he stands on the work of Jesus and his accomplishments. And we, we need this affirmation constantly. Like, this is something we can't grow tired of hearing. I think there's something in us that, that might wanna like check off a box and say like, oh yeah, I know that, and then move on to something else. But, but Paul here doesn't let the church of Philippi do that. He, he fixes their eyes back on the very core and fundamental truth about what it means to be in Christ, and that's for a reason. This is one of the last things potentially that he could say to them in his mind as he writes this. And so it's important to mention it. You know, like my kids, they're growing up, man, and they have all sorts of opinions and I love them dearly and they're adorable. Um, but, you know, getting my son ready for school sometimes, like I, I'll tell him what to do. I'll be like, hey, yo, T, go brush your teeth. And he'll be like, okay, he'll go run to the, toward the bathroom and then I'll go iron his shirt. But then I'll come in five minutes later and the toothbrush is dry, no toothpaste in sight. He's playing with Spider-Man in the corner. I'm like, hey, yo, bro, like, I need, I said, can you brush your teeth? Go brush your teeth. And then he'll, he'll get mad, he throws a toy, and he's like, I know, I know. And I'm always thinking, like, I don't have time to lecture him in the moment, but I'm thinking, like, I know you know. I'm not telling you because I don't think that you, that you know. I, I'm telling you because it didn't change what you did. Like, you didn't, you knew, but you didn't brush your teeth. <laughs> And so when, when, when we think about it, it's kind of like um, the bus boycott participants, right? Like they, they knew and they believed fervently that what was happening in Montgomery, Alabama was not right, especially on the, on the public transportation system. And what they believed changed what they did. And it united them. Yet it is the grace of Jesus experience that leads us to this unity that, that really does unify believers in the church, especially we are unified by faith with Jesus and with each other. And it is only this kind of unity that can bring true justice and peace forever. But just like it is the unity, uh, the, the, the grace of Jesus uh, experienced that causes the believers to unify, it is also the grace of Jesus exploited that causes the, the black nationalists and, and the, the Hebrew Israelite to stand on 125th and Lenox all summer long with tables and robes and a speaker 
and megaphones and literally scream about how, the, how, how Christianity has extorted grace and properly, improperly applied grace. But we do much better to stop pretending like grace is ignorant and incapable of causing change. Because believing does something to us. And I think that's why Paul jumped straight from that you are saved by faith alone and then straight to verse 10. But saving faith is never alone. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That is, we experience personal transformation in Christ. We experience the resurrection power and the crucifixion suffering of Jesus. The power of Jesus' resurrection gives us the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit changes us. You know, I think about me being in middle school and my mom, who is just an amazing human being. Uh, some of y'all know that because y'all know her. And... You know, every year around Christmas, she would try to make sure around that age that we had, 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 had a fresh pair of J's or something like that under the tree. And I remember one particular year, uh, the Bread 11s that came out, I remember going to foot, foot Action, waiting early in the morning online, got them. But it was a couple weeks before Christmas, so, you know, my mom, she still wrapped it. We had to wait on it, you know, couldn't have them right away, but open them on Christmas Day type of thing. And uh, I, I opened them up, and of course, I love, I smell, smelling the shoes. I put them on there, but I don't put them on again until after Christmas break. I'm saying first day back from school, you gotta be flying. So, but I remember putting them on, lacing them up with some, with some special laces and uh, walking out to walk to school. But my walk was a little bit different. Like the, the way I walked, because of, because of this thing I had received, this, this gift that I got from my mom, it changed the way, like the shoes were, were, were important enough to me that it changed the way that I walked. The gift I received was big enough that I really wanted to take care of it. And similarly, when we believe and we are found in Christ, when we experience the resurrection power of Jesus, it changes the way that we walk. But I, I need to show of that because I need, I need to keep going. Um, but, but, but really think about uh, a group of people, again, gladly finding their names on a list of warrants for arrest because they believed so strongly and they were changed so deeply and, and, and they hoped so greatly. Like, what are you willing to suffer? What are you willing to suffer for the cause of Christ? Now, we shouldn't go looking for suffering, but sometimes it comes. And I can give a couple of examples in my life, and maybe some of them might resonate with you. Uh, maybe it, it, the, the corporate or, or the office culture at your job is, is, is heavy, you know, heavy bar scene, a heavy drinking scene. And maybe because of who you are in Christ, you're not going to indulge in the same way that everybody else is. And then maybe because of that, you're not seen as, as the, the committed member of the team that everybody else is because you're doing something a little different. It's... You're doing something different, and, and maybe people view you a little bit differently because of it. And then maybe those different views lead you to being passed up for opportunities to work on different projects. Maybe even passed up for opportunities for promotions 
And then maybe, if you're like me, there's a temptation to, well, if I just, if I put down certain things about who I am in Christ, just for a quarter, just for one quarter, it could change a lot. I, I could climb the ladder much faster. That's a real temptation. And we need to be excellent at our work, of course. But if our advancement in our work is so important that it supersedes who we are in Christ, I think that's something to reevaluate. Or maybe, maybe you uh, have come to Christ and maybe you lost some friends. Maybe, maybe, you're, maybe you're thinking right now, you're watching this right now and you just started checking out this Jesus thing. Maybe you even sent this, you're watching this video with someone you've talked to about this, and this is new to you, but you've been catching heat. And you're second guessing, like, yeah, I don't know, like, if I wanna, if I wanna go through this. I mean, you know, when I first came to Christ, one of my closest friends could not contain himself with laughter because of the decision I had made. And he turned his back on me immediately. Like, we never got up again, ever. But you know, Suffering is included as a part of being found in Christ. To gain Christ is to know the power of his resurrection unto being willing to share in his suffering, in his hurt, in his rejection. Because you can't know the resurrection power without the crucifixion pain, right? Crucifixion came first. Uh, Dr. Paul John puts it this way. Christian salvation entails not only justification, but also sanctification, what we've been talking about. The pursuit of a new life characterized by a complete identification with the one who suffered, but ultimately conquered sin and death. And I want to be clear. The suffering of, of Jesus was God's perfect justice. What I'm not saying is that uh, we just need to take things that happen and get on and get over, especially in light of some of the things we see happening here recently. That's what I'm definitely not saying. Again, Jesus' suffering was God's perfect justice. But what I am talking about is specific examples like the ones laid out just a minute ago. Um, but the suffering of Christ undoes justice in the world. And we suffer with Christ that we might take part in God's perfect justice that is coming with finality. So we're confident in what Christ has accomplished for us in faith. Yet we are also diligent to watch over our souls unless suffering might reveal different. But our hope is that even through suffering, we might obtain glory. Verse 11, Paul says that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That is literally, literally, you and I in Christ receive a new resurrected body in glory. Yes, in Christ we also share in his sufferings, but we also share in his glory. When Jesus resurrected from the dead, Paul said in Philippians 2.9, he was given the name above every other name. And Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he came to his disciples and he said, Ayo, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And that's who you and I are unified with. 
Paul is in jail, but he's not suffering as somebody who doesn't have hope. This is a sure hope. Romans 8, 17, this is, this is sure. This isn't like, a, oh, I'm going through this, and, and like maybe he'll. No, like in Christ, he surely will be, and so will you. But you know, we leave ourselves and we leave other people and each other with, with these, these phrases and these things. Like the thing that comes to mind for me is this song, which I love, that I actually have it on my worship playlist. I listen to it all the time, but going up yonder. And we think of this idea that we're going somewhere. And as great as that song is, and as true as that song is, it's incomplete. Because our hope is not that we are escaping and leaving this place. Our hope is that right here where we stand might be made new, might be made good, might be made just. It is the the very hope that the leader of the Montgomery bus boycott had. The whole movement was standing on this eternal hope. This hope that one day where we are standing, you and I right now in Harlem, New York, right here would be made good and would be made just. And it is only when we know that justice is coming, surely, that we don't grow weary in the fight for justice because what we're striving for is coming in Christ. Revelation 21, starting in verse 1, says it this way. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. You see, our hope is that there is this vision of a holy city from heaven coming down here, not that a holy people are going up. And it's, it's only when you realize that you're in Christ going to be in a city with neighbors worshiping God forever that maybe you treat your neighbors a little bit differently, engage with them a little bit differently in the city today. Well, maybe I'm crazy, but maybe, maybe, maybe you, the, the troublemaker on your block, you get to know his name instead of calling the cops. Maybe, I don't know, maybe you pray for him. Maybe the, the people that are always on your stoop loud late into the night, maybe just maybe instead of walking back and forth past them with your noise canceling headphones, sucking your teeth. Maybe you would stop and maybe you would ask questions and maybe you would hear their stories and maybe you would hear the story about uh, their grandmother who lived in this building since she was a child and, and, and was supposed to own her, her condo by now that she still rents because of some things that happened, some promises unfulfilled. And maybe, just maybe, you would interact there. Our hope is not that we are leaving here. Our hope is that right where we are standing would be made new, would be made good, would be made just, would be made into the place that we want to dwell forever in Christ. Lord, we love you. And we just cannot praise you enough for who you are and what you have done in Christ on our behalf. 
Lord, it would take a lifetime and more, an eternity to search all of your ways and all of your marvelous wonders about what it means to be your child, about what it means that Jesus has given us in faith the right to be called your children. Would it be so, Lord? Would it be so? Would every one of us cling to the truth about Jesus a little bit tighter this day? Would the truth about Jesus and who we are in Jesus grip our hearts in a new position right this very moment, Lord God? That we may know you, that we may elevate you above all things. It's in Christ's precious name that I pray. Amen.